I've lost faith in my personal drive to be able to do this, that, or the other, right? And so what we need to look at is what does the Bible say faith is, and then how can we orient our life around it? Because it's very, it's very important that we get this right because um, the Bible and our salvation is linked, linked to this completely. And so uh, let's start, I want to start this way. Let's start with kind of walking through, how do people kind of view faith uh, today? And um, specifically religious faith, how do people view it? And I think there's two groups of, um, two broad categories that everyone really fits into. And the first category is people that look at faith and faith in people as something that they don't need. It's like, oh, you, you might need to live by faith over here, but that's just because you're kind of a, a, a weak-minded person or you need a crutch. You need, you need something to kind of help you operate and cope in life. And so you just kind of um, check, your, check your brain at the door and you just are one of those faith people. And uh, I don't need that. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need your faith. Uh, I am a well-adjusted member of society that is self-reliant. I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I can, I can do it. I'm not one of those faith people. I got this. And so they wouldn't be wearing the cat meme shirt about uh, I can't adult today or whatever, the lazy Garfield or whatever um, image you have in your head. But then there's another group. There's another group of people that look at people with faith um, in an envious way. They say, ah, oh, man, I just can't. That person is, is, just has so much faith. I, I could never have that much faith. I could never have that much faith. Maybe you've seen someone go through a, a personal tragedy that whenever you try to put yourself in their shoes, you're just like, how, how can they do it? They just have all this faith. I could, I could never do that. I could never go through this, um, through this thing the same way that y'all have with the level of faith that, um, that you've displayed. And so I, I think we, both groups are making a mistake that faith is for a certain type of person. Faith is for these weak-minded people over here that, uh, you know, just can't uh, manage their affairs and get everything in order. So they're relying on faith and not taking up responsibility. That's what they need to be doing. And over here, there's a person that just says, woe is me. I want to have faith. I can't have faith. I guess this person over here that went through this hard situation was just born with this innate sense of faith that's just kind of God has just gifted them with, and, and therefore you're envious of it the same way that you might be envious of Jay's singing voice or something like that. You know, like, oh, I wish I could sing like Jay. You know, I play the guitar and all this stuff. Uh, I wish I had faith like that person or this person or that, that family over there. And so what's funny about this is both are totally wrong. Both are totally wrong. Faith is not for a type of person if, if, if that were true, then there, uh, Christianity would really be a cult. You'd see a monolithic type of person um, within, within the church today. Um, every, it'd be like, oh, I can tell right away they're Christians just by what they're wearing and, you know, how they talk and all, all this other stuff. And, but there's every single type of person in the world represented in the church that Jesus has established. Every single type of person. And so faith needs to be defined by the Bible. And this is what we see in this passage. We see three things. I'm going to give you the three things, uh, and then we're, going to blow through, then we're going to blow through them, okay? This is what Christian faith actually is. Number one, this passage tells us that Christian faith is born of thanking. 
is born of thinking, is born of having information and uh, filtering it through your person, filtering it through your mind. Number two, that faith grows out of the will. It grows through a willful submission to some knowledge. And number three, and this is unfortunate, that faith matures in suffering. Faith typically matures in suffering. All right? So let's dive into them one by one, by one shall we? I think there's a lot of well-meaning Christians out there that a lot of times would say something along the lines of, uh, well, you know, I can't really explain it to you, but I, I just kind of, I, I live by faith. You know, I just, I, I live by faith. And, and, and it's kind of perpetuating this, this thought process within our culture of just like, oh, you haven't thought through this at all. You haven't thought through this at all. You're just kind of doing whatever your parents told you to do or you're just kind of following uh, the, the cultural upbringing that you've been a part of and you haven't engaged. You haven't engaged your mind intellectually in what is going on in the Bible and what is going on with biblical doctrine or anything like that. And so we, we need to be really, really careful about that to not perpetuate the understanding that faith is just a mindless exercise. Because what does, Paul, what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, we live by faith, not by, not by sight. Not by sight. We live, we live by faith, not by sight. We don't not. We live by faith, not by reason. Or we live by faith, not by thinking. He's like, we live by faith, not by sight. Which means that we have to discover. We have to discover some of the realities of what it means to, to, to have faith. And I think it's kind of akin to an analogy that I've been kind of working on and thinking through. It's kind of like how we discover human rights within our, um, throughout history. We dis- human rights are not something that we make up and that we give to one another. These things are discovered through the progressive revelation of history throughout God. We're like, oh, uh, this is part of the dignity that God has given us. He's given us certain dignity, and he's given us certain responsibilities, and collectively as a society, we have to unearth what God has established and therefore codify it within the confounds of who we are as a people. So um, human rights aren't created. They are, they are discovered. In in the same way, faith, there's an aspect of discovery to it. That we have to discover, we we discover it, then all of a sudden it comes alive within our hearts and we have to say, all right, this is true. I'm going to investigate it. And this is how the Bible uh, talks about it uh, very plainly. It says that faith is born whenever truth impregnates the heart. All right, is this strong enough language for you? This comes from James chapter 1, verse 18, and says he chose to give us birth through the word of faith. He gives us new creation, the new birth through what? The word of truth. Sorry, I, I, I slipped there. It's actually the word of truth. The word of truth. Um, this is how he chooses to make, make us alive. And in verse 39, uh, look what we see. We see that the people of Samaria, uh, Samaria they believed because of the woman's testimony. So they had information, right? They had a certain level of information, and they had to investigate it. They had to discover it. And then once they discovered it, they, they started thinking through it, and then they believed. Faith, was, uh, faith proceeded from their investigation. Faith proceeded from their thinking. And in verse 41, it says the same thing. It says, many more believed because of his word, Jesus' word to them. So faith really starts with 
the discovery of information. The discovery of information. So let me kind of present it to you uh, in an analogy this way uh, with dating and marriage. All right? All right. We awake now? Dating and marriage. All right. All right. You got my attention. All right. Here we go. Um, What are you doing in dating? What are you doing in dating? You're, You're really trying to discover. You're trying to discover, is this person... Who I need to marry? Is this, is this the person that the Lord has for me to marry and, and kind of connect my life, um, life together with? Now, a fool, a fool could say this. A fool does this and says, oh, man, I see her across the room. Never seen her before, but I see her. That's my wife. And just kind of telling his buddies over here, like, that's my wife. I, that's the type of person that uh, I, I knew I... I, I always wanted to marry a girl that looked like that. I'm going to marry her, and, and, and your buddies could be like, man, she, she's like an axe murderer. And you're like, nope, don't tell me anything. I don't want to know any information about her. All I know is she looks like the person that I want to marry, and therefore I'm going to go marry her. And that's what, that's what a fool does, is it checks their reason at the door. Checks their reason, uh, and doesn't actually think through, doesn't investigate, doesn't do any thinking about it, and just basically says, oh, I'm going for it. That's what I want. And that's the dumbest thing that we can do. That's the dumbest thing that we can do with our faith as well. It's just like, oh, you know, I just believe it. And you believe what? You believe what? Articulate what you believe. And it was like, well, I, you know, just Christianity. Well, tell me about Christianity. It's like, you know, just Bible stuff. Tell me about the Bible. It's like, I don't know. I haven't read it. I haven't read it. You know, I don't know what's in there. And it's like, oh, you're, you're just kind of caught up in the gears of your own cultural upbringing. And you haven't really thought this through. You haven't thought it through. And so let me, like, kind of double down on this uh, analogy of, of dating. Uh, so imagine there's t- two, two people, a man, man and a woman. They begin to date or court, whichever verb you prefer in that. And, uh, and there's no red flags, right? There's a, they went through premarital counseling. They both said two thumbs up, you know, four thumbs up, whatever it was. They were... Uh, they took all these compatibility tests, and they were perfectly compatible, and um, they upheld a high standard of, uh, like, of biblical purity throughout the entire thing. I mean, 10 out of 10, we, the, the community's behind them, everything, and uh, they're, 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 ready, they're ready to go. Now, imagine on the wedding day, uh, and this is a hypothetical situation. I'm not thinking of anyone right now, but on the wedding day, nerves start billowing. They start coming up. They start getting, they start infiltrating the heart, infiltrating the mind, and they're both experiencing at the same time, so there's not a man or a woman to blame here, at the exact same time, they both get cold feet, and they type, type out this text message, and they have Android, so they couldn't tell that they were texting each other, and, and, um, and they send the exact same text message at the exact same time, and they just, you know, the phone breaks because they just, you know, like, oh, y'all actually sent at the same time. And it says, hey, I think we should postpone. What, what's happening there? What's happening there? Are they getting new information about, no, they've stopped thinking, and they started reacting. They started reacting to the nerves. They're living by sight and not by faith. They didn't get any new information. Everyone still thinks that they should get married. Uh, the compatibility is still there. Everything is still green light, green light, green light. But they started to react because of their nerves of the videographer or the cha-cha slide or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. And they, they get new information and they start reacting. And that is not living by faith. 
That's the opposite of faith. That's living by sight. That's living by moment to moment to moment. And the Bible actually explicitly says this, that we are to be rooted in faith so that we're not tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine. Whenever something comes up on the TV, we're like, oh, I guess that's true. You know, Christians are not supposed to be gullible. We're, not spo- we're supposed to be high-minded, thinking very clearly, very strategically, being rooted in the Word of God. This is, this is what we're supposed to do. Let, let, let me give an example from God's Word. It says in 2 Timothy 1, Verses 12 through 13, it says, For we know, for we know whom, I, for I know whom I have believed. This is Paul talking to Timothy. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love of Jesus Christ. We are to walk by faith. We know, we know who we have believed in, not by sight, not by our present circumstances. And so we got to dig in here. We've got to dig into this reality that Christians have to be thinkers. We have to be rooted in what we say that we profess and believe. So if a girl, if a girl comes up, I'll stop, stop giving this analogy here a little bit, but if a girl comes up and is like, oh, that guy's cute, you know, I, I think I'd like to date him. Becky, no, no, he's a, I know he's charming, but don't, no, he's not good for you, he's not good for you, he's not good for you, trust me, I know him, because of Susie's, you know, ex-boyfriend's cousin, and all of that, and all of your trusted friends have said the exact same thing, don't, don't do it, and then you, what happens? You fall victim to his spell, spell and his charm, and then he breaks your heart, and then whenever you break up, what do you say? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking. You were reacting, and you lost faith in all the trusted voices that you've had in your life. You've lost faith in all the people that you trust, trust trusted, and you began to live by sight not by faith. And if you live by sight, what happens continually to us is we become victims or villains. We become victims all over the place. We just say, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that is happening to me. Because you're living by sight. You're living by moment to moment to moment. Everything is always feels oppressive to you. But whenever you're walking by faith, you say, I have a sure and steady anchor that I can hold on to and I can walk walk forward no matter what life brings to me. And so we, we see this very strong, strong conviction that Christians are to be thinkers. To live by faith means that we are not to live by moment to moment. Because in the moment to moment, what are we called to do from the Psalms? You probably know this. But Psalm 4211 says, Why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. You see what he's doing there? See what the psalmist is doing there? He is looking at his present circumstances, and he's preaching to himself. He's saying, why am I so downcast? I need to be putting my hope in God. He's thinking through his present circumstances, but he's not dominated by his present circumstances. He's thinking about who he is, how he belongs to God, and what he needs to do. He's preaching to himself. He's preaching truth. He's thinking through it. So faith is the resolution that culminates through deeply thinking, through thinking deeply that Jesus is Lord. He's in charge of everything. And because he's in charge of everything, i got to think through how, how it means that he is Lord of my workplace, 
how he's Lord whenever I'm interacting with my coworkers, how he's Lord whenever I'm doing my schoolwork, how he's Lord so I, uh, I no longer procrastinate on this thing or that thing or, or whatever it is. He's Lord. And so you're constantly thinking through and working in your Christian worldview in every aspect of your life. That's faith. That's faith. All right? So that's number one. Number two. Number two. Secondly, we see that faith grows and can, will continue to grow through the will, through the act of the will. And so what happens is whenever you're called to think through what it means to be a Christian in every aspect of, of your life, and you do that primarily through whenever someone, um, hopefully whenever someone evangelized to you, you said, okay, this is what you do. Now you need to start reading the Bible. You need to start praying. You need to start communing with the saints. You need to come and gather together. And this needs to be the centerpiece of who you are because God didn't just save you in a vacuum. He saved you to belong to a group of people, to, to cultivate you and to belong, to belong to God as, as his bride together as we move towards him and in, into an eternity. And so we get all this information. We get all this information, but then... It doesn't do us any good if we're just like, yeah, uh, I'm, I can make 100 on the theology test, right? What are you supposed to do after you become a, oh, read the Bible, pray, something about communion, don't know what that means, something about going to church probably, right, and sing, sing I need to sing more loudly or something like that. That's what I, if, that's what you're, if that's what you're thinking through, but you never do it, you never do it. The Bible says that you have one aspect of faith, but you don't have real biblical faith. You see, uh, a, a lot of us just have the, th the thinking part. We've thought through it a little bit, but we have uh, no submission, no submission through the will to say, the centerpiece of my life is now, now shifting away from myself and revolving around God and God alone. That's what we're called to do. Imagine, um, imagine you knew everything there was to know about some fad diet, paleo or something, Atkins, keto, some, something like that. Imagine you knew everything there is to know about it. You know how many um, macro carbs, I think that's the right term. I don't you know, I'm like, kind of making this up. You know how many micros, how many macros, how many microwaves you need at your house. You know, you, you know everything there is to know about keto. And you're just like, this is how many grams of protein I have, and this is how many grams of carbs that I have, and I, I fast on this day, and I don't start eating till this day, and then I, there's something with uh, sea salt and vine, uh, apple cider vinegar that you have to do three times a day, and you do all this stuff. You do all this stuff, and you study it, and you're like, all right, you're now certified keto. What good is that? You know where I'm going with this. What good is it if you're an expert in all of that, but you never implement the diet? You never implement the diet. Real faith says, hey, I'm moving, oh, I'm moving the centerpiece of who I am away from revolving around myself to now actually putting into practice all the things that I know and, and, and grow around God. You see, our culture is trying to get us to be more self-reliant, Right? Uh, it's a commonplace today that whenever you have a conversation with someone and you sit across from them and you say something that, not even is controversial, it's just something that they don't know, that what do they, what happens? We pull out our phone and we check, and we check it ourselves and, and it's like, okay, now I know it. You said it. We could have just had a conversation about it. We could have, I could have just asked you. But instead, now I know it for sure. And this, and this, ha this happens all the time, right? 
This is something that is being perpetuated with technology. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, maybe a little rude, but it, 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 it's something that is, is going to become more and more prevalent, that we were just like, you know what, just because you said something doesn't mean that I care to trust you. Um, and so our, what is that doing within our culture? It's coaching us to be self it's coaching us to be self-reliant. It's coaching us to keep the center of gravity around, around ourselves. And so uh, let me give this analogy uh, of kind of what I'm talking about with center of gravity. You ever been uh, to like a church camp or something, and you, they have someone stand on a stage like this, and they have Ben and, and, and Bradley and stuff come up here, and they kind of put your arms down. It's like, okay, you're going to stand back here put your arms on your chest, and you're going to fall, okay? And you, all you're going to do is you're just, it's, it's a trust fall, right? This is what you're doing. You're, we're trust falling, and you're going to fall down, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, hopefully we'll catch you. Hopefully we'll catch you. And, that, and, and you know what? Maybe I need more than that. We're not going to do it, but um, not that I don't trust you, but it's, it sounds really scary. And because it is really scary, because what's happening? There's a point of no return to where you know, I could really hurt myself right now. If, if they don't come through in this moment, I could really get hurt. And that's a great analogy of what faith is. A great analogy of su- submitting to God is saying, you're, you're going to the point where you have the information, you've thought through everything, and then you jump. And then you remove the center of gravity away from your two legs and you entrust yourself to another person. That's what submission is. And that's what this guy did, this, this official, this nobleman did. In verse 50, it says this, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He trusted him. He got the information that Jesus was. Jesus was this guy that could heal his son. He walked 17 miles. And so he, he had good information that this is a risk that is worth taking and so I'm, he, he, he jumped in all the way with Jesus. He walked out there knowing that if this doesn't work, when, by the time I get back, my son is probably going to already be dead. He's probably going to already be dead, but he committed himself. And whenever it got, um, whenever he said in verse 50, and Jesus spoke these words over him, it says, he believed him and he went his way. He submitted. He risked. He trusted. He trusted the information that God that God had given him, that Jesus had given him, and it paid off. And you see what happens in this? There's this, there's this element of growth that we all need to understand here with faith. The more information you have about God and the more you trust him, the more you trust someone, the more you're willing to risk on the established trust that you have formed together. So you risk, and you say, I, I know God will come through in this moment. I know he'll come through. I know God will reward my abiding in him. I know, I, I know I'm tired, and I know I don't have any coffee in my house, but I'm still going to read my Bible, I'm still going to pray, because I know that I might not get anything out of it this, but, uh, this morning, but I know that he is forming something within, within me to establish me, to be more like Jesus day in and day out. And so what are you, do, what are you, what are you doing in all those things? You're risking and trusting that God is going to bring a greater return. And what happens is that anytime you risk, the more knowledge you get of God, and after you get more knowledge, the more you're able to trust him, which demands that you risk more, which gives you more knowledge of him, that he'll come through in even that circumstance, even despite that sin, and then you get more um, understanding of him. And it's just a cycle that grows and grows and grows. 
This is how God has established things to work in this life, and especially with faith, is to trust him, to, to, to let go and to fall. Fall completely on him with no, um, with no reservations whatsoever. So, okay, so this is how you grow. You have to grow by actually trusting him and establishing. But then number three, and this is sad to report, but it's so, so, so true. Number three is this, that faith often matures through suffering. It often matures uh, through, through suffering. And that's the context of this entire passage, is it not? The man is terrified that he's going to lose his son. Terrified that his son is going to pass away. His son's going to, his son's going to die. And so he risks. And he hears the information. He risks and he goes out to see him. And he thought that Jesus was going to do exactly what he wanted him to do. Or at least he was going to flee. And what, what did Jesus do? He almost brushed him off, right? He almost br- completely brushed him off and just said, uh, man, you need a sign. You need a sign before, before you believe. And then he pleads with him, Lord, please come. And he says, go. Go, your son is healed. What is that, mean? What is that saying? Here's a brief aside. You know what that's saying? That Jesus, Jesus, whenever he is entering into our life, oftentimes he's going to do things that we're not comfortable with him doing. This man wanted, this man said, thought, thought Jesus as this good steward of, 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 of health and uh, prosperity and just said, if I could get him here, just the same way that you can say, I, I need a surgeon to come to my house in order to do surgery. That's what he thought. That's what he thought. He couldn't get him to come. He couldn't get him to come. He couldn't get him to muster up the energy to go, go with him. Why? Why? Because Jesus is not, Jesus doesn't do anything that's hard for him. He went, you ever seen in the Bible whenever he's healing someone, he's just like, you know, like trying, like really struggling and sweating and all this? No, he's the Lord and master of the universe. He's the master of the universe. He's upholding the world by the word of his power, Paul tells us. And so whenever, whenever he heals, he just says, go, he's healed. He's healed right now. And so that means whenever you come to Jesus, Whenever you come to him, guess what? Guess what? He's making the rules. He's doing things in your life that you don't expect him to do. Even though you want him, you desperately want him to do this, he's going to do things because he has a plan. He is the master. He is the Lord. And he's going to do things that you might not want him to do. But he's going to do them his way for your good and ultimately for his glory. This is one of the ways that he does it. He does it. Is oftentimes it's through suffering. It's through suffering circumstances. Every financial crisis in the world that you've seen, and we've seen a couple of them um, in the last 30, 40 years, you always see a rise in suicides of people in, in financial institutes. Why? Because whenever the suffering comes, you know what it reveals? It reveals what our God is. It reveals what our true religion is. It actually exposes the, con- the true condition of our heart. Who are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? This is, this is the, the mercy of suffering. The mercy of suffering. I, I, I don't think it's the reason why God brings suffering, but it is part of him working all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
what do we see whenever we go through suffering? We actually see what foundation we're standing on. See, we like to build sandcastles, do we not? We like to build our lives on, on, on sandcastle or, or on sand rather than the rock. And what suffering exposes within our heart is it shows us you're actually trusting in your reputation, you're trusting on your wits, you're trusting on your looks, you're trusting on the power that you have attained for yourself. And if that goes, guess what? You're not just going to be, okay, I have my sure and steady anchor, I'm moving forward. It's going to expose that, oh, this was my God. This was the thing that my life was revolving around. And whenever it crumbles, it's not a cru- crutch. I, de- I am decimated. I am turned into dust. Because our God, whenever suffering kills our gods, we die with them. We die with them. And so, I think it's important. I think it's important for us to understand that suffering is not always, is not always something that you need to um, process through and just be like, okay, I'm sure, but it's, it's, it's teaching you something. It's teaching you that, hey, you might have some self-trust in your own sense of power, control, comfort, or approval, and you need to give that up that up. So some of y'all might be thinking, man, this sounds really, really terrible. Sounds really, God has to mature us through suffering. Again, I say this with a, a full heart and a compassionate heart. Guys, this is God's mercy. Your suffering a lot of times is God's mercy to wake, to wake us up, to wake us up to see the true condition that we're building our life on. There was a there's a season in my life, I don't like to share this story too, too often just because it's very personal and, I, and it's kind of emotional and I don't want to try to, um, I, I'm not saying it to manip- manipulate at all. I'm just saying um, how God has used this tragedy to, to, to grow, grow my faith. There's a, there's a young man who, whenever I was a sophomore in college, I, I just recently came to faith and, and uh, played baseball with him. I grew up in a small community, small school, and so he kind of played with all the underclassmen, and um, God just really laid on my heart that, hey, I need to, I'm a new Christian, uh, this, this kid, he's kind of on the same path that I was at, just kind of dorking around, being dumb, I, I, I need to share the good news of Jesus with him. So I became convinced, and there, there's this one time that I felt like I had the courage to say something, and I said, ah, maybe next time. And the next day, unfortunately, he passed away in a car accident. And I don't know. I don't know why. It's one of those things where, God, why this suffering? Why now? Why whenever I was so sure that I was going to do it? Why? I, I don't know why. I don't know why. But I know what God has done within me. There is, since that moment, a deep urgency a deep urgency, a deep boldness to communicate the love and the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God for his people. That, that, that I know that I, there's an urgency within my life to proclaim the good news of Jesus. There is, there is, and God has done that through that terrible, terrible tragedy. And so for those that are suffering right now, loss, pain, heartache, crisis, I encourage you, I encourage you, more inappropriately, as I have done lately, more inappropriately, but also evaluate, think, 
What, God, what are you doing? Well, he's always wanting you to think through. What does it mean for him to be Lord of everything? Even Lord, Lord of the darkness, Lord of the shadow, Lord of, Lord of this pain and suffering in this world. And then obey. This guy did not get the answer that he wanted. He didn't get the answer that he wanted. But what happened? He got, he got new information about who Jesus was. Jesus was the Lord of the universe that could just say, go. Go. You'll have what you want. So I encourage you, dig in. Cry, cry out to God. Pour your heart out to him. And then obey him. Don't just use information for information's sake. Submit Enter into the, the diet of the Christian life. Actually, put it into practice. Put it into practice. Obey him. Some of you, I know, are distancing yourself from God right now. You're saying, God, I need this, this, and this to happen before I start fully trusting you again. Here's my question. It's the, the question that the Bible presents. Who are you? Who am I? To answer back to God, why are you doing these things? We are dirt we are a speck of dirt, and I know it doesn't make us feel good, but it's what the Bible <laughs> expresses. And so you have to think through, did you get into Christianity so that God would serve you? Or did you get into Christianity because you realized that he was the master and it's a privilege to serve him? Remember when in the Chronicles of Narnia, they find out that Aslan is a lion? Remember what Susan says? Oh my goodness, a lion? Well, is he safe? You remember what they said? Of course not. Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's good. He's the king. Who else are you going to trust? So my hope for all of us is that we deepen our faith. We understand that every present life circumstances is for, is for that. It's to get, go deeper and deeper and deeper. So think about his character. Read his word and also, if you're skeptical of this, I challenge you with this. Are, are you skeptical of your own skepticism? Are you? Do you doubt your doubts? If you say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not one of those, you know, I'm not one of those faith people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm objective. I'm realistic. I'm a little cynical, uh, you know, a little sarcastic over here. This is, this, is how I, this is how I operate in life. Really, are you cynical of your cynicism? Are you skeptical of your skepticism? Are you applying the same? Is that fair? That's fair, right? You need to, you need to work through um, and apply a pro, like across the board what you're cynical about, what you're skeptical about, even to your own skepticism. And then think. Think and work through the, the purpose of faith. Think, obey, and commit. And someday, I promise you, and someday, I promise you, you'll say like what it says in verse 44. 42, it is no longer because of what you said to us that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray.